it is always great to be with you. Um, I love that the sanctuary seems to be filling up on a regular basis, so that's good. People want to be together. Uh, God always designed the church to be together. It's called, uh, the word for church in the, in the Greek is ecclesia, uh, excuse me, ecclesia, and it means called out ones, not just called out one. And so God always thought about the body as he was thinking about building his church. Good to see you. And those who are online, bless you, bless you. I'm, I'm really happy about what this congregation is doing for your benefit virtually. It's special. And on top of that, you got some really special pastors. I see you missed a moment. I mean, it, it, it accomplishes the same thing if I have to prime the pump, but spontaneous is, is a little bit better. Uh, you have great pastors. That was good. That was good. That was good. Pastor Eddie and Mary, we love you. You're doing a great job here. And any pastor who has pastored through the pandemic needs a medal. It's hard because our responsibility is to care for you. That's our job. And we've never had to try to care for you like this. Can't meet. I know Pastor Eddie was talking to nobody in sanctuaries on Sunday morning. I was. Our 1,500-seat sanctuary down the street. I was just preaching to empty chairs. And you got to figure out, okay, if you tell a joke, you got to wait till you think people will laugh before you go on to the next point. Week after week after week, I want to commend you all uh, for hanging in here virtually when you had to and commend you for continuing to hang in here and inviting your friends. You are an outstanding congregation and representation of Christ. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, Pastor Eddie said a little bit of what I do. And this morning, Pastor A.J. McGraw is preaching over at the main sanctuary, and I am here today to present to you and continue the, the series on generosity. So if you'll turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, the title of the message is Generosity, Grace to Sow, Generosity, Grace to Sow. Paul is writing to the saints in Corinth. And he says in verses 6 through 11, Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he is purposed in his heart, not begrudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Verse 8, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always, having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. As it is written, he who scattered abroad gave to the poor, and his righteousness endures forever. Verse 10, now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. And you will be enriched, verse 11, in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. Lord, help us as we study your word. Four things in this passage about which I want to speak to you. One, sowing and reaping. Two, what it means to control your emotions, sentiment, harvest. Three, a specialized grace comes to you that doesn't come otherwise unless you give. And then four, supernatural supply. The background to the story is that the church at Corinth had, had, excuse me, had been the lead in trying to figure out how to supply some needs for the church in Jerusalem that was going through a famine. It was a bad time. And Paul was trying to figure out how to get the resources from the church at Corinth where it should be. We see some parallel passages 
on this time frame and these deeds in the book of Philippians, where Paul is bragging on the book, excuse me, bragging on the church at Philippi, saying they, they shared in the manner of giving and receiving better than any other congregation, and out of their deep poverty flowed a wealth of liberality. So we know the church in Philippi was very, very poor. Yet when they heard that the saints in Jerusalem were suffering, they said, it doesn't matter. We're going to give what we have. They were, they were amazing. And the letter to, to the Philippians is probably my favorite epistle because it's the only time where Paul is happy. Every other letter, he's got to write something that just isn't quite right with the church. He's got the W-R-I-T-E, right, about the R-I-T-E, how to get there. R-I-G-H-T, how to get there. Paul here in the book of Philippians is constantly working hard to just encourage and he barely has to work because so many testimonies are coming about what they are doing. And he gives words of encouragement to the church of Philippi that he doesn't give to anybody else. For my God will supply all of your needs, Philippians 14, 13, will supply all of your, your needs according to his riches and glory. It's a principle that we can adapt wherever we are as a result of doing some of the things that the church of Philippi did, but he wrote it specifically for them. Corinth didn't get it. Galatia didn't get it. Ephesus didn't get it. Great churches. And so the background is this. Paul has now bragged to the church at Corinth about the church in Philippi's participation in this need. And he's talking to them about how wonderful they were. He said, but I'm afraid I'm going to be a little embarrassed because you said you took up some money, but it hasn't arrived yet. I know you say the check's in the mail, but is it carrier pigeon? Where are the funds? And he's not rebuking them as much as reminding them and helping them to get a little bit more on course. Three degrees, if you will, to the right, so they are due north. He's not quite sure whether the Corinthian church has actually used the money that they saved up or took an offering for. He's deeply concerned. Thus, he writes this right here to encourage them. He's not, he's not uh, praising them using this passage, saying, see how it works for you. He's encouraging them, saying, see how it can work for you. Now, I've heard this passage misused so many times. And it makes God, the way it was misused, seem much like a slot machine, a bank investment, a stock investment. Boy, if you sow a lot, you're going to get a lot. Any Christian that is trying to figure out how to work these principles for their own benefit is deprived of their privilege of worship. We get to worship with our money, giving it to him with no expectation of return. And none of us should consider that ever a burden because what Pastor Elder J.C. said up here, God, he gave all for us. He's just asking us to give, if you will, the tithe, 10%, and a little bit more than that an offering. And we sit there and say, I don't know. I don't know if I can do that. I got so many bills. This was the issue at the Church of Corinth. And so he was encouraging them with the principles that are in place that they might understand that their sowing is going to allow them to reap something in return. But that is not the motivation for our giving ever, ever. Our motivation for giving is love, not gain. Now, the good thing about our God is that he says, okay, I see what you did. 
and I'm going to pour back out on you. Why? There are very few people who do right. Very few. And so when he finds somebody who does right, he takes resources and gives them more stuff so they can do more right. He channels all the stuff that he possibly can to that person because he can then magnify what that person is doing good so that it reaches so many other people. It is, it is really vital to understand the difference between our motivation and God's blessing and not think that somehow our giving should be tied to what he now owes us. It is his mercy that distributes resources to us. And he decides to comply with the principles that we know to be true, sowing and reaping. He says this, if you sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. But if you sow bountifully, you're going to reap bountifully. True. I've got a garden. I have a garden because I love my wife. And she loves fresh vegetables. There's nothing ugly out of that garden. It's all organic. It's good stuff. We've reaped a little bit. been a good year. Uh, peppers, summer squash, tomatoes, green beans. We've enjoyed ourselves. And we've given a lot away. And I know that when I plant, I have confidence that when I plant that one little seed in the ground, it's going to produce more than that one little seed. Otherwise, eat it. <laughs> no point in you waiting four months for a plant this big to produce one seed. Too many resources have been taken in order to produce that one seed. Just eat the seed. But God put a principle in place that says, if you sow, there will be an abundant harvest. So put that which is yours in the ground and watch what happens. Sowing and reaping is a principle that cannot be denied, though we should not trust in it for our own provision. Trust in the goodness of God. But he said, if you sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. So if you put just a couple of seeds in the ground, you're not going to reap near as much if you would put, put a dozen. Sowing and reaping is important you, for you to understand. I was talking to someone the other day who had a very difficult time with the idea of tithing. Yeah, I get it. He never grew up tithing. His parents didn't tithe. The grandparents, he got right with God. Just in the, uh, as far as he knows, he's the first generation to get really right with God. And he's working, doing what people do here in their employment. He came to me and said, now tell me about this tithing. Why? Why in the world do you do that? Well, I said, because it's God's money. Malachi said, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Well, and, and you're not doing that in Malachi. He says, you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 through 12. The whole nation of you are robbing me. They say, how have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. So you don't want to be a thief of God. That's not a good place to be. Because most thieves do their stuff in darkness hoping they're not caught. Isn't that true? You don't want anybody to know you did it because you're going to jail. But where are you going to hide from God? And why do you want to get on the side of making him a little bit less than happy with you? He said it's his money. 10% is his money. So I'm not going to take his money, even though, it's, even though the check was written out to me. I realize I'm a steward of that which is given, and I'm supposed to go ahead and donate like he wants me to. But then there's the, there's the on top of that, meaning there's offerings outside of the tithe. And it, it's, it's gotten very quiet in here, and usually when I get to these points, it does. Because it requires sacrifice. But listen to me. From the time I was a student at Indiana University in 
1981. I was on work study. Anybody know what work study is? I don't know what to do that anymore. I got $20 a week because I was in science. I cared for rat, lab rats. $20 a week. I'm telling you, that was big money for a college student. Big money. And I got right with God in, in March of 81. Went to the church for a couple of months and they started talking about giving. I said, well, I don't, I don't know that I have much. Would my contribution really help y'all? At $20 a week? He said, probably not, but it'll help you. So I said, here's my $2. <laughs> it helps you in worship because it's God's. And then it helps you in terms of provision because he decides to provide for you in a special way than he, than he decides to provide for other people. Sowing and reaping is important. And secondly, you need to get your, your heart, your emotions, your sentiments in line with this principle. Harness them. Do not let your emotional state lead you. Don't do what the, what the songs say that are produced in Nashville and Hollywood. Follow your heart. Why do you want to do that? Where has it led you that's good? In fact, when you followed your heart, it got so broken, messed up, bad decision, you wound up here trying to figure out how to get right with God because you messed up your life so much. The heart is evil, James. Excuse me, uh, uh, Jeremiah says. It is desperately sick. I don't trust my own heart. And I've been walking with God for 40. I don't trust it. If I'm going to make a big decision, I ask other people who happen to be peers and understand exactly what I'm going through and know my lifestyle. They say, I say, what, what about this? I don't know. I think I'm hearing from God, but, but I'm not quite sure. I don't trust my own self. Don't follow your heart. You bring your sentiments in line with the word of God. He says, I do not want you to give begrudgingly. Now, if you give begrudgingly, it's all right if, to the people who receive it. To the people who receive it, it's all right. Because it doesn't matter how you give for them. But it does matter for you. Don't, don't give because of obligation. You don't give because you got to. You give because you want to. Oh my God, you have been so good to me. I want you to know how grateful I am that you let me keep 90% of that which is yours. Wow, that's a great deal. When all of it is really yours and you can take it back anytime you wanted, but you let me keep at least, not, not at least, you let me keep 90%. That's amazing. And so... I get happy when I, yes, I still write checks. I get happy, though I do use push pay. I get happy when I write checks. And then on top of that, there's more money to give. We have orphans. We have church plans. We have Thanksgiving offerings. Anybody know what a Thanksgiving offering is? It's an offering you give as a result of being thankful for what God has done. And you need not have the next big thing to do so. You could give it anytime you wanted. In the Old Testament, uh, Thanksgiving offerings were not prescribed at a certain time. They were called votive offerings, free will offerings. You could do it anytime you wanted. It wasn't a guilt offering. It wasn't a sin offering. It was just a thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God, for what you've done. So when all my children were born, I stroked the check. When we made it through COVID, I stroked the check. You can find... All the things for which God has done for you in your past, you can find a reason to be thankful without making him prove himself tomorrow so he earns your thanksgiving. The 
there's so much more sowing abundantly. I get my heart in line with the word. And as I do that, I, I let my heart follow the word rather than me following my heart. He says, I love a cheerful giver. That's who God loves, the cheerful giver. Now, it doesn't mean that he doesn't love all people if they aren't cheerful, cheerful givers. It means this, that you basically get a special spot in his heart. I was uh, taking a nap, I don't know, about six, seven years ago. Don't get many of them, but they're really nice when you can get them. <laughs> I was taking a nap, and I was downstairs in my, my family room, and I heard the vacuum cleaner run. I thought, Mama's vacuuming while I'm taking a nap? That don't make any sense. She would never do that. It would disturb me. I woke up. I went in and found out who, what, what the vacuum cleaner was off. It was my 14-year-old boy. He was vacuuming. Some of y'all have never had 14-year-old boys, obviously. <laughs> he was vacuuming. I sat there and looked. He saw me. He turned the vacuum off. I said, what are you doing? Vacuuming. I ain't dumb. I can see that. What are you doing? Well, I just thought I'd help mom out. I said, come here. Come here, come here, come here, come here. I gave him the biggest. You ever had some of those uncomfortable hugs? Those ones that last much longer than you want them to? And you're thinking, are we done yet? Are we done yet? It was a 30-second hug. I intentionally made him feel uncomfortable so he would have a moment to remember how I thought about him as a result of doing that. It didn't mean that I loved him any more than my kids. It meant he now occupied a special place in my heart. That's what happens when you give cheerfully, when you comply, when you, when you begin to put yourself where God says, this is what obedience looks like and I'm going to do it. You bring a smile to his face every day. And that's the goal of my life, not to be compliant, not to be obligatory. Duty is important, but I don't want to do stuff just because I got to. I want to do the extra. Lord, what can I do to bring a smile to your face? Listen, there's stuff my kids that have to do when they're in the house, especially my boys. The trash is their responsibility. When they take it out, I do not smile. No long hugs. That's their job. But when they do the extra, <laughs> come here, you, you get something from me. God loves cheerful givers. Loves them. Bring your heart in line with giving. And don't let covetousness or greed begin to get in there and think, ah, boy, what, could I, what I could have done with that money? You have no idea what that money is doing for you. generously. Cynthia and I calculated how much we've given to the kingdom over 40 years of walking with him. <laughs> Let's just say it's a lot of money. I'm a pastor. The number that I saw should not reflect my position. How does a pastor give that much? And we didn't pat ourselves on the back. We worshiped. I said, Lord, look at that. Because I gave, you supplied. I didn't have all that money to give before you gave it to me. I just want you to know I'm so grateful. Sentiments. Now, when you comply with God's 
God's highest good with your heart engaged, affectionately wanting to do these things with joy. He says, and my God is able to make all grace abound to you so that you having all sufficiency in all things may abound in every good work. Four times he uses superlatives in there to talk about the grace of God and what it does for you. All grace abound to you so that you having all sufficiency in everything may abound in every good work. Four times. It's not that grace doesn't come to us and that somehow we have to earn it by giving. That is not it. Grace is freely given. In fact, by definition, it cannot be earned. Grace can't be earned. And all of us need it. Can you say amen to that? I need the grace of God to, to do what I'm supposed to do, when I'm supposed to do it, how he wants me to do it. I cannot function well without his grace. I cannot be what I need to be without his grace. But he always seems to specify sometimes. Always sometimes. That didn't work. I'm going to use it though. He always seems to specify sometimes. That I will give you grace for certain projects. Not the grace that you need in order to get to heaven. That was all him. But there are things we do that we cannot do without him here. But we need to do them. And even if we don't experience the grace like we think we should, we still need to go ahead and be faithful. It doesn't mean he doesn't dispense it. It may, it may mean that we just don't know what it feels like. But he says this, I grant you the privilege of having grace in order to fulfill that which he promised. That which he obligated you to do. If you will give abundantly, his grace will supply so that you do not have a need. No need. Now, when you say, wait a minute now, I've got a lot of needs. I've been giving a long time. Need is relative. It's relative. You got food in your cabinets. You got a roof over your head. You got some kind of transportation. You may have a job you wish you didn't have, but you're glad it provides food on the table. Need is relative. One person said, luxury, a luxury experience once becomes a need. We don't know really what need is in America. I'm being overly hyperbolic, I get it. But we really don't know en masse what need is. And, and as, a, as a result of it, we feel like we are entitled to some things. And, and, and it's, it's evidenced by the fact that when they're gone, we get mad. Upset. We don't have Job's attitude. You talk about a man who was disappointed in not getting what he thought he deserved. My devotional this morning. The Lord gives. And the Lord takes away. I worship him. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And that's when he lost everything. God is able to make all grace abound to us so that we having sufficiency in all things may abound in every good work. The supply that God wants to give comes as a result in this area, specifically a grace, comes as a result of your participation with him in the vision, financially. Grace. And I have experienced, my wife and I experienced that grace every day. For that we're grateful. And then there's a, there's a specialized supernatural supply that comes a supply that is without bounds 
Now he who gives seed to the sower and bread for food is able to multiply the seed for sowing and increase the harvest of righteousness in your life. As it says, he scattered abroad and gave gifts to the poor and his righteousness endures forever. He, Paul lifted that passage from Psalm 112 and it talks about the righteous man. You want to be known as a righteous man, generic, righteous woman. And you ought to read Psalm 112. Gosh, it, it is the psalm of my life. How blessed is the man who, who, who uh, loves the commandments of the Lord. How blessed is he that he takes joy in them. That's what the first part, part of it says. And it goes on to talk about the light will rise in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious, compassionate, and righteous. And then he talks about what the, what the, what the, the man of resources have. He gives freely to the poor and his righteousness endures forever. Paul lists that passage out here talking about what it is to be a right human being. And giving to those who do not have allows you the privilege of understanding what it means to partner with God in what he's doing. He is a good God. He is wonderful in his disposition. And it is amazing that he is, he, he, he is wonderful in his disposition toward us. We mess up so much stuff. I don't know why. Do you know you get rewards when you go to heaven? If you've done stuff here? Rewards. And I thought about this for a minute. Why in the world would God give out rewards? Jesus said, blessed are you who are persecuted for righteousness uh, because yours is the kingdom of heaven. And when people begin to treat you real bad, just remember you are stacking up rewards in heaven. Matthew 5, 12. I think, well, why in the world do I need rewards and glory? What am I going to do with them? I'll be happy just to be there. But you're actually going to give, you're going to give me stuff? Well, see, heaven, I don't think it's anything like what people have depicted in books or movies. I think it's a pretty normal spot in terms of our interaction with one another. We'll be able to sit down and have listened to Noah give seminars on how he built his ark and, and, and be able to talk with Moses. Dude, when you were hemmed in at the Red Sea, how'd you know to lift your staff and part it? Because he cried out to God saying, what do I do here? And God rebuked him and said, why are you talking to me? Get the people on the other side. And he's sitting there thinking, wait a minute, I've never been in this circumstance before. It's a natural thing for somebody who's never been in a circumstance before to cry out to the one who can fix it. And God opened. The, see, I want, I, want to, I want to find out what was going through Moses' mind. Heaven's going to be a wonderful spot. But you see in the book of Revelation where these, these 24 elders uh, are there worshiping at the throne. And, and, and they're down on the, their, their faces and they take off their crowns and they throw them. They put them down. First of all, where did they get the crowns from? The Father gave them to them because of their righteous living, the way they represented, how they were the firsts of his, his fruits from the grave and how they built the church. They get crowns. But my picture is this, that when John was going through the process of seeing this vision that he outlined in the book of Revelation, that that was a snapshot it wasn't the end. And in eternity, there is no end or beginning. But he got a snapshot. 
And I'm thinking, this is what happens in heaven. They see the lamb. We see the lamb. The elders saw the lamb. And they think, nobody's done as great as him. And I'm not even worthy to hold this because he empowered me to do anything I can do right. So, Lord, I'm not worthy of this crown. I lay it down at your feet. And the Lord says, thank you. But you did great. Here. But Lord, you are so worthy and you are amazing. There's nobody like you. I shouldn't have this. Here. And the Lord says, I know. Bless you. Here. You want to be sure that you've got something to offer Christ when you get to glory. You don't want to come empty-handed. And people who live right get rewarded in glory. And those rewards are, are tools through which we can worship him. Somewhat sad is the person that arrives in glory just with himself. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3, there are some folks who are going to get to heaven. Some uh, are not going to have much because everybody has to go as through fire. And if they have built well with gold, silver, and precious jewels, it'll be all right. But some build with wood, hand, stubble. And they will come through as through fire. With what are you building the kingdom? How are you building the kingdom? Motivationally? Contributions? Service? Strength? What are you doing that will last? And here we have uh, on a number of different fronts, whether it's Matthew or 1 Corinthians or the book of Revelation, people being given stuff there and giving it to him. I'm hoping to be able to have a whole lot of stuff to offer because heaven is one long worship service. One you will never get tired of. You'll sing the same song over and over and worthy is the lamb, worthy is the lamb, worthy is the lamb, over and over and there will never be a time where you're looking at your watch. Rewards in heaven. There is a supernatural supply that comes. He says, and he who gave bread for sowing and, excuse me, seed for sowing and bread for food will multiply and increase the harvest of your righteousness so that you will have, have been fulfilled in all things with all liberality. I've never seen Paul use so many superlatives in one passage trying to help the Corinthians understand the motivation for giving and why they need to be faithful to it. If you look earlier in the passage, you'll see that one of his servants was coming to try to receive the money because they hadn't got it yet. And it's almost like uh, Timothy or Titus was a bill collector. They'd taken up resources, but they hadn't distributed them yet. And everybody's wondering, when is it coming? These people who are starving in Jerusalem need it now. And in the very end of this passage that we read, Paul is saying, God wants to distribute things for you supernaturally so that you will have supply in all things. Now, he gives bread and he gives seed. Seed for sowing and bread for food. The, pro the problem is people eat their seed for sowing because they're so concerned that they won't have enough bread for food. Now, you can't tell the difference between the seed for sowing and bread for food because they still look like dollar bills. Both of them look like dollar bills. But you have to make sure that you do not eat your seed for sowing. Because God will always supply your bread for food. There have been times when I sat there and I wrote a check and I said, Lord, you know my bank account. 
You understand where I am financially, but I want you to know, I'm giving this in faith, believing that you are going to supply for them through this, and somehow or another, you're going to meet me on the back end. If it doesn't happen, meaning I don't come into the provision like I thought I should, doesn't mean God's not faithful, I just had an idea about how it was supposed to happen. If it doesn't happen, I want you to know that I am for you, with you, and I would do it all over again. Disappointment is not going to be a part of my future that somehow dictates how I worship. I've had more disappointment in my life than I could count. Things that I thought were, were, were really God, but they were only good. Good idea, wrong timing. Not the right strategy. I have been more disappointed than I have been fulfilled circumstantially. And every one of those disappointments for me was tuition. It taught me stuff I didn't know about how wrong I was thinking. How I wanted God to, to co-sign my life. To put his name on the dotted line so that I, I, I could go ahead and, and fulfill my dreams. And listen, ecclesiastical posture, so we're selfish sometimes. We got interests that, that aren't near as in line with his will as, you, as we'd like. All of us are fallen. And many of the mistakes I made were with you, but you weren't here yet. With the church, thinking that this property here was good, and this property, and we need to do this. So many mistakes I've made where I did not see God provide on that end. And I went back to the drawing board of prayer saying, Lord, what is going on? He said, there's more consecration you need in order to hem your vision in so it perfectly aligns with mine. And I don't want you to spend my resources wrongly because there is a place down the road that needs those resources. And he has disappointed me. And you have not lived long enough yet until you can get happy with your disappointments. It was a woman, as I close, uh, for which I went to Indiana University. I started it at uh, Bethany College in the middle of Kansas. And um, transferred to Indiana in the middle of my junior year to be with my girlfriend. She was the girl I was going to marry. It's going to be really cool. Gave up my football, everything. I was playing ball at this other place. And uh, I got right with God in May, March. And... I tried to bring her to church, and she wasn't really interested. She's a very nice girl, but just wasn't interested. And I, I had to, to say, okay, Lord, obviously this, this ain't going to work. It broke my heart, because I really was in love with this woman. I broke up with her, and I can't tell you. She's a good girl. She got married someplace else. Wonderful. I can't tell you how happy I am that God disappointed me. I can't tell you. I have the best wife since Eve. She is phenomenal. Homeschooled all our children for 23 years. She retired in the 24th. And we threw a retirement party for her. All the kids got her a brand new iPhone 6. Yeah, it was five years ago iPhone 6, that was a big deal back then. Big retirement party. She follows me around trying to figure out how in the world to keep her life in line with mine. My schedule is nuts. She has provided for our home. She is... Whoever made Wonder Woman miscast. 
how great she is. And she has been a supply to me in every area. And how did I get on that? Anybody know? It's good stuff, just good stuff. Pardon me? Disappoint oh disappointments. I'm happy about my no no get. My disappointments. Really, really happy. You need to live that long. We had bought property over in Chantilly off Pleasant Valley Road. And I had to come back to the church after three years of developing all kinds of architectural render and say the property's too small. We grew too fast. Good problem to have to grow too fast bad problem to have to go back to the church and realize you have really you have chewed up most of your vision equity you spent it because now you got to go back to the church and say I was wrong does he know what he's doing does Pastor Brett know what he is doing no <laughs> we sold that property and then we got the water park and everybody's thinking I'm crazy again I did too but I can't tell you how happy I am that God disappointed me with the property we bought. We got our money out of it. When we bought something else, I can't tell you. I've got stories for days about being disappointed. But I've lived long enough now to know when he disappoints now, there's always a greater fulfillment later. When you sow, you're going to get kingdom fruit back. Kingdom fruit back. Things that are going to help you advance the cause and cause of Christ in your life and the cause of Christ around the world sowing and reaping is super important to do make sure that you are giving from a heart that is cheerful harness your sentiment and and realize that there is specialized grace that supplies things for you that you would not get otherwise and then there is supernatural provision that comes in the end so that you will have all that you need and do not eat do not eat your seed for sowing but use, go ahead and eat your bread for food. The seed that he has given you to sow, sow it. Sow it. And watch what God will do. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I love you. Thank you for your goodness and grace. Inspire us and help us to be the kind of people who are marked by generosity. Is there anybody here this morning, whether it be in uh, virtual land or here in person that wants to give their heart to Christ raise your hand high I want to pray for you that's you anybody at all or maybe you've made a decision in the past but there's nothing about your life that looks anything like God anything at all anybody at all all right you who are online if you're there and you want to pray this prayer just pray it with me say father in heaven forgive me I am sorry for the way I've lived I choose to turn away from everything I know to be sin and to follow you with all of my heart. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for loving me. And thank you for giving me the privilege of calling Jesus the Lord of my life. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, there's a little uh, box in the chat that allows you to get connected with somebody so that they can help you be great with the decision you've made. Church bless you. I love you. You're doing a great job. We'll talk to you later.